0: A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now. Use the code EPL25 Again, LibertyShield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, Good Boys and Girls Two-Footed Podcast. Today is Friday, the 9th of June. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all looking forward to the weekend. Good opportunity to catch up on some gardening on Saturday evening. Or for some of you, the Champions League final. Manchester City versus Inter Milan in what is a bit of a... I don't want to say disappointment of a Champions League final because that would be disrespectful... But it's not the final that anybody envisioned prior to the start of the season. Many people would have had City there. I don't think many would have had Inter there. Even Inter Milan fans, I think, are a little bit surprised that their team is in this final. Especially considering they finished third in the league well shy of Napoli, who went on to win Serie A. So City this season obviously won the Premier League, won the FA Cup. And are now chasing the treble. A feat only ever accomplished by one other English team, Manchester United, in 1999. Obviously, other clubs have won trebles. Bayern Munich have won a couple of them. Inter won one under Jose Mourinho. But only one other English team has achieved this so far. So to get to this stage, City topped their group. They had Borussia Dortmund, Sevilla and Copenhagen. They beat Sevilla 4-0 away. They beat Dortmund 2-1 at home. A little bit lucky on the night. They beat Copenhagen 5-0 away. They drew, sorry, at home. They drew away with Copenhagen 0-0. Drew away with Dortmund 0-0. And then beat Sevilla 3-1 at home in the final group stage game. So they went through 14 points from their six games. 14 goals scored, only two conceded those being to Dortmund and Sevilla. In the round of 16, they got RB Leipzig. They drew 1-1 away, and then they beat them 7-0 at home. And that was kind of the moment where City really woke up and started to look like a team that could conquer all. In the quarterfinals, they dispatched Bayern Munich, beat them 3-0 at home, drew 1-1 away. Semi-finals, they got Real Madrid, drew 1-1 away, beat them 4-0 at home. A dominant performance. The scoreline did flatter them a little bit on the night. But no question, the better team won and the better team went through. So unlike in previous years where City have had easier runs and then when they've come up against a team that was a little bit tricky for them, they've stumbled, they've overthought things. This year they've had a difficult run. Dortmund finished second in the Bundesliga. It It was a good Dortmund team. Sevilla, pretty poor this year, especially around the time City played them. But they did then go on and win the Europa League. And then Copenhagen were just kind of the group filler. Leipzig finished third in the Bundesliga and won the German Cup. Bayern won the German League. Always a difficult game, always a tough team to play. And then Real, disappointing season for them, finishing second and going out the semi-final stage. City will go into this game as the strong favourites, and rightly so. They have immense firepower. Erling Haaland has 52 goals this season. Junior Alvarez has 17. Foden has 15. Mares has 15. Gundogan has 11. De Bruyne has 10. Bernardo Silva has 7. Jack Grealish has 5. Aki, Rodri and Stones have three. So there's goals from a lot of different places in this city team. There's creativity from a lot of different places in this city team as well. De Bruyne has 29 assists. Mares has 13. Grealish has 11. Foden has nine. Haaland has nine. Rodri has seven. Bernardo and Gundigan both have six. And this team has looked very, very impressive over the last few months. Now, obviously, the last two games of the Premier League season, they took their foot off the gas because they had the title wrapped up. They drew at Brighton. They lost to Brentford. Had they needed to win either of those games, both of those games, I think they would have managed it. They've only lost six times all season in all competitions. They lost to Liverpool. They lost to Brentford. They lost to Manchester United, they lost to Spurs, and then they lost to Brentford again in the league. And they lost to Southampton in the League Cup. Now, the one thing I would say is that none of those teams should be beating Manchester City this season. Liverpool were dreadful this year, especially at the time that they played City, but they beat them. Brentford are a good team, but they're not nearly as good as City, but yet they went to the Etihad and they won. Manchester United, average at best. They managed to beat City. And Spurs, I mean, look at what happened to them. They're a mess. They shouldn't be beating them. And then the same goes for Brentford. But again, there was nothing really on that game. Southampton, there's no excuse for that. And really and truly, if City win that game, they probably would be on a quadruple right now. They most likely would be on a quadruple right now. Because... Southampton played Newcastle in the semi-finals of the EFL Cup after beating City. Does anyone think, Southampton, or sorry, that Newcastle would have beaten City across the two legs? I certainly don't. And then they would have played Man United in the final. And we've just seen how that worked out in the FA Cup final. I think it would have worked the same in the League Cup final. So Southampton really stopped what could have been a quadruple, the season to end all seasons, as it would have been. Liverpool obviously came close last season, City much closer to it this season, quite clearly. But it is just it is just staggering how consistent they've been. And look, there's, there's lots of things we could say about City, including 115 charges, industrial-level cheating. But I don't want to get into that, because I don't want to spend my Friday talking about City cheating. Let's look at Inter Milan. This season Inter finished third in Serie 18 points off top. They lost 12 times in the league. That's really poor. To lose 12 of 38 league games is really poor. They lost to Lazio, to Milan, to Udinese, to Roma. That's four defeats. In their first 8 games in the league this year. Then they lost to Juve. Now in truth. Other than the Udinese game. There's nothing wrong with any of those defeats. Because they're all good teams. Lazio finished 2nd. Milan finished 4th. Juve would have finished in the top 4. If not for their points deduction. But then they lose to Empoli. They lose to Bologna. They lose to Spezia. They lose again to Juve. They lose to Fiorentina. They lose to Monza. These are bad results. Other than the Juve one. Even losing at home to Fiorentina, who finished eighth, is a bad result. They have some bad draws as well. They only drew drew three games all season. All of them against teams they should be beating comfortably. Monza, Sampdoria, who were relegated, and Salonatana. These are all games... Inter should be winning. Now, they did win the Coppa Italia. They beat Parma. They beat Atalanta. They beat Juventus on aggregate. And then they beat Fiorentina in the final. So they have had success this year. They have raised a the trophy. They also won the Super Cup following last season's um, exploits when Milan won the title They played Inter in the Super Cup. Game was played in Riyadh in January as a showcase of Italian football. And Inter won that game quite comfortably, winning 3-0. In the Champions League, they have grafted and grinded their way to get here. But they have been helped by a pretty favourable run, especially in the knockout phases. On paper, the group looked really tough. Bayern... Inter, Barca and Victoria Plzen. Everyone expected Victoria Plzen to lose all six games and they did. Everyone expected Bayern to top the group and they did. But between Inter and Barca it was seen as a bit of a toss-up. And Inter managed to come out on top. Now they lost to Bayern in the first game, then they beat uh, Victoria Plzen, then they beat Barcelona, then they drew 3-3 with Barca away, beat Plzen again and then lost to Lost to Byron for the second time. So that win over Barca, that's really the difference here. Into the group stage, they draw Porto. They beat them 1-0 in aggregate. 1-0 home win through a late Lukaku goal. 0-0 away. They go to Benfica and win 2-0. Sorry, Barella and Lukaku with the goals. Then they draw 3-3 at home. And then they played Milan in the semi-final. Local derby, obviously, shared stadium. So pretty much two home games. They beat them 2-0 in the first leg. Game is over within 11 minutes. Dzeko scores, Mkhitaryan scores, and Milan never really recover. And then they beat them 1-0 in the second leg with a Latour Martinez goal. They don't have the same level of firepower as the city, but they do have players that will get them goals. Latoura-Martinez scored 28 goals this season. Dzeko and Lukaku both scored 14. Borea scored 9. DeMarco got 6. Mekaterian 5. Robin Golsan, Swakim Correa and Hakan Chalanaglu all got 4. Brozovic got 3. So there is goals in the team. There's creativity in the team but not to the same level as City. Laturo had 10. Barella had 9. Chalanaglu and DeMarco both had 8. Lukaku had seven, Brozovic and Bastoni had six, Dumfries and Dzeko all had, uh, Sorry, both had four. Things improved for them once they made the change to bring in Andre Onana to replace Samir Handanovic. Handanovic has been an incredible servant to them, but his time had come. Onana is the better keeper. It was the right move. It was a little bit late happening, but it was the right move and it has improved them. They do have a strong defence. When everybody's fit, they do have a strong defence. And they've got some options to come off the bench. Now, obviously, they've got Denzel Dumfries as a right-wing-back option. They've got Matteo Darmian that can play there. Left-wing-back, you've got Robin Golson's and Federico DeMarco, who's, who is the, the nominal starter. Centre-back, you've got Azzerbi. You've got Bastoni, who's the real star of that defence. You've got Stefan de Vrij, who's declined but has a lot of experience and knows what he's about. And then you've got the big question mark is Milan Skriniar. He's probably the best defender at the club. He's probably the best defender in Syria, But he's missed quite a bit of the season for one reason or another. He's leaving after this game... To join PSG. And you'd wonder if they play him. I think if he's fit they should. Because I think he does have the physicality. To deal with Haaland. To the extent anyone can deal with Haaland. He doesn't have the speed of a Van Dijk. But he's big and he's strong. And he's aggressive and he's gnarly. And he's not afraid to kick people. If the back three is scrinnier. Azerbi and Bastoni. That's probably their best bet. Now, Azerbi is an interesting case because he's 35. He's been around a long, long time. Made his debut back in 06 for Pavia. He's had a little bit of a journeyman career. But when he landed with Sassuolo in 2013, after getting some horrendous news about his, his own health, He completely rebuilt his career. He spent five years there before going to Lazio where he he excelled. He's at Inter on loan. But he has been outstanding for them this season. He's big. He's tough. He doesn't take a backward step. He's good on the ball. He's not the quickest, but he reads the game very well. And the one thing he does that really adds to the team is he brings a level of leadership that they were lacking at the back. He brings an organisation that was needed. If that's the back three in front of Onana with Dumfries and DeMarco as the wing-backs, and again, I don't know if there's injuries or or what the situation is, but if that's the defence, that's pretty strong. I think Brozovic has to start. I think he has to start in that holding midfield role. I don't think they can get away with the Chalunaglu, Mekatarian, Barella 3 I think it has to be Brozovic, Barella and one of the other two. Most likely Chalunaglu. And then you have Mekatarian off the bench. You have Aslani off the bench. You have Gagliardini if you want to try and see out the game if they can get themselves ahead. With 10-15 to go. In attack they are dangerous. Now the best pairing they have. Is Latura Martinez and Romelu Lukaku. That pairing works. It's proven to work. It won them a league title. But Lukaku is inconsistent. And Eden and Jekyll, You just know what you're getting from him. So I do wonder if they might start Jekyll And then bring Lukaku off the bench. And then the fourth attacker at the club is obviously Joaquin Correa. He's not a big goal scorer, but he's an intelligent player that makes things happen when he's on the pitch. And I think that the combination of Laturo and Lukaku can cause City problems because we know what Lukaku is about. We know he's quick. We know he's incredibly strong. We do know that he's a, a volume chance-getter, but not a volume finisher. So he'll score a lot of goals, but he needs a lot of chances. And that can be a bit of a downfall against this City team who don't give up a huge amount of chances. But they don't regularly play against players like Lukaku or like Latour Martinez, who's had the best season of his career and is rounding into one of the best players in the world at 25 years of age. He obviously had a disappointing World Cup lost his starting role but you look at the last 4 years for him with inter 21 and 49 19 in 48 that's the year they won the league he got 17 league goals that season this season sorry uh, last season 25 and 49 and this season 28 and 56 21 league goals in each of the last two seasons he is establishing himself as a predatory number nine, as a guy that can get you a goal. Like I say, the World Cup was a disappointment for him. He should have been the one playing alongside Messi, but Alvarez got into the team and earned the right to stay in the team. And his work rate and his off-ball work was just above what was was able to give. But I think this is actually... A fairly fascinating final. Now, City could go out and beat them 5-0. There's there's no question. There is a significant gulf in class between Manchester City and Inter Milan. There just is. But Inter have a doggedness about them. And they have a good manager who tends to excel in cup competitions, in one-off games. He's not necessarily the best manager for a league campaign. But as a cup manager, he does impress me. He won a Copa Italia with Lazio. He won two Super Cupas with them. He's won the Copa Italia with Juve in both years he's been there and the Super Cup in both years he's been there. This is his type of game. We know what they're going to do. They're going to play 3-5-2. They're going to be compact. They're going to try and hit City on the counter. And that's the only way you can really play against City. You can't try and go toe-to-toe with City. But what they need to do is they need to be physical with Haaland. And they need to be physical with Grealish. And not allow Grealish to carry the ball. Hit him as he receives it. If he's going to win free kicks, have him win those free kicks closer to the halfway line. Gundogan and De Bruyne are the two biggest risks to this Two biggest threats to this Inter team. Their ability to move into advanced positions from midfield, to create, to score. That's been vital for City in recent weeks. We saw saw what happened in the cup final. We saw what happened in the run-in. It was those two who stepped up time and time again. City have lots of weapons and they have loads of options off the bench. Inter don't have as strong a bench But they do have one or two that could cause City some trouble. I think City will win this game. But it would not shock me if Inter won. It wouldn't shock me. It would be a big upset in the grand scheme of things. Looking back through the Champions League finals in recent years. The last time there's been a gulf... This big between the two teams in the final was Liverpool against AC Milan, which was, funnily enough, also played at the Ataturk back in 2005. Liverpool came from 3-0 down to equalise and then win on penalties, as everybody knows. There's been two finals fairly recently, or more recently, I should say, which have been pretty strongly in favour of one team. But I don't think as big a gulf as this one. Those were Chelsea versus Bayern in 2012 and Chelsea versus Man City in 2021. And what we know about these three finals, which I would say are the three biggest in the last 20 years in terms of the gulf between one team and the other, is that in each of them, the underdog won. The last time we had a final like this where one side was strongly so strongly favored over the other and the strongly favored side won was 2002 when Real Madrid Real Madrid beat Bayer Leverkusen That was the last time a heavily fancied team beat the big underdog Now, Man City will be looking to add their name to the list of European Cup winners. They've never won the competition before. They've been to one final, 2021, and they lost. That puts them in the category of Fiorentina, Eintracht Frankfurt, Partizan Belgrade, Panic and Eitos, Leeds United, Munch and Borussia Mönchengladbach, Club Bruges, Malmo, Roma, Sampdoria, Bayer Leverkusen, Monaco, Arsenal, Tottenham, PSG as clubs that have been to one final and lost. There are two teams who've been to two finals and lost both of them. Valencia lost in 2000 and 2001 to Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. And Reims, back in the 50s, lost in 56 to Real Madrid, and then lost in 59, also to Real Madrid, as Real were rattling off the first five European Cups in a row. Only one team has ever been to three finals and lost them all. That is Atletico Madrid, 1974, 2014 and 2016. The latter two coming against Real Madrid and the 74 was against Bayern Munich. The first of Bayern's three in a row. We have five teams that City could join and having played two, won one and lost one. Celtic won in 1967, lost in 1970. Hamburg, won in 83, had lost in 80. Stoia Bucharest, won in 86, lost in 89. Marseille, won in 93, had lost in 91. And Borussia Dortmund, who won it in 97 and lost in 2013. So the team City are looking to join. They're hoping to avoid the Reims-Valencia category and join Celtic, Hamburg, Rest, Marseille, and Borussia Dortmund. And they will obviously be favourites. And it could be that if they get an early goal, and Inter have to open up, that City will carve them apart. That could well happen. But the longer it goes at nil nil, the more Inter's confidence will grow. And if Inter can get ahead and have something to hold on to and City have to get a little bit reckless, well, then Latura Martinez on a counter-attack becomes like strychnine to City. Lethal. It should be a good game. It should be a fun game. The Champions League final is the biggest event in club football. And there's been some... Great finals over the years. Now, oftentimes they do end up being a little bit of a disappointment. I think it's fair to say that the last four have all been fairly poor games of football. Liverpool-Spurs, Bayern-PSG in the weird bubble with no fans, Chelsea-City, and last year, Real against Liverpool. They've all been fairly poor games. But... Over the years, there have been some some very entertaining games. Barcy United in two thousand and eleven was a great game of football. Chelsea Bayern in two thousand and twelve. The suspense in that game was amazing. Bayern against Dortmund at Wembley in thirteen really good. Real against Atleti in twenty fourteen. I mean. It ended 4-1, but that doesn't tell the story of the game. Godin scores on 36, and then Atleti batten down the hatches and try and cling on to that. Ramos scores in the 93rd minute to send it to extra time, and Atleti would just... They were done at that point. They were spent. Bale scores, Marcelo scores, and then Cristiano, having no-showed the final, scores a penalty in the last minute. To make it all about himself. If you thought I was going to miss the chance. At some Cristiano slander. You underestimate me. You go back further. There was great finals in the 90s. Go back and watch Barcelona. Versus Sampdoria. Played at the old Wembley. That was a really good game of football. Capello's Milan. Against Cruyff's dream team. In 94. Barcelona go into the game. As favourites. Milan, Milan were underdogs despite the team that they had. Now, they were missing Baresi and Costa Curta for that final. Maldini slotted into centre-back and put on a man-of-the-match performance. And Milan cut them apart, dominated them from start to finish. Massaro scores on 22, He scores again just before half-time. Cevichevic scores just after the break. Everybody should remember that goal. And then Marcel Desai put the icing on the cake. The two Ajax finals over Milan and the defeat to Juventus. A game they should have won. Dortmund against Juventus. I watched that game recently. 3-1. It was a great game of football. Juve were favourites. But that's the best Dortmund team there's been. You had players in that Dortmund team like Jürgen Kohler, Stefan Reuter, Matthias Sammer, Andreas Muller, who'd been part of the German team that won Euro 96 in such impressive fashion. They had won back-to-back league titles. Those players had gone on, won the Euros, came into this season on a high... Paul Lambert, if you haven't heard his story about how he ends up at Dortmund, there's a podcast that James Richardson did where he recapped basically every Champions League final by talking to one player from the winning side. And he spoke to Paul Lambert about this one. And the story of Lambert getting there is is it's not something you'd hear in modern football. Basically, he was playing for Motherwell. His contract had run out. The Bosman ruling was not long in the game. He didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't have any offers. Somebody put him in touch with a European agent. He went on trial with PSV Eindhoven. And there was a trial with Dortmund lined up afterwards. Eindhoven were looking for a winger more than a centre midfielder. So they passed on him. All this time, he's telling Motherwell oh no, I will come back. I think I'm going to come back. I'll sign a new deal because they'd offered him a new deal. But he goes AWOL, doesn't sign the deal, doesn't report for pre-season training all because he's off having these trials, impresses Dortmund enough that they make him an offer and he goes from being a fairly run-of-the-mill midfielder from Otherwell to man of the match in a Champions League final. And he was outstanding in that game. Created one of the goals for Karl-Heinz Riedler. Lars Ricken's chip of of Angelo Peruzzi from 40 yards is probably the memory most people have of that game. That was a great, great Dortmund team. It was a great Juventus team. Peruzzi, Ferrara, Montero, Deschamps, D'Olivio, Jogovic, uh, Zidane, Christian Vieri and Alan, Alan Boxic up front. Gianluca Passato, Del Piero, Nicolo Amoruso off the bench. Marcelo Lippi in one dugout. Otmar Hitzfeld in the other. That might be my personal favourite manager versus manager clash in the European Cup. Ferguson Hitzfeld in. Ninety nine is obviously a good one as well. Hitzfeld was manager of Bayern by that stage. Hitzfeld against Hector Cooper is a good one. After that, I mean, Benitez Ancelotti is good. Pep Ferguson is obviously one that people talk about a lot. And people will use the fact that Pep won both finals against Ferguson as... A reason to say he's the better manager. I disagree that he's the better manager. I just think he's had the deck stacked in his favor. If you put Fer- give give Ferguson, Messi, and give Pep any one of United's players, I think those games end up differently. Your point is against Jurgen Klopp in two thousand thirteen is a great one as well. Carlo versus. El Cholo, that's a fun one. But yeah, I think it is that 97 one. I think it's Hitzfeld versus Lippi. I think that's my favourite managerial combination for a Champions League final. Now, if I'd gotten to see Hitzfeld versus Capello, that would have been it. But you go back, just some of the teams that have won this competition over the years, obviously the Real team that win five in a row... Then Benfica win two in a row. Then Milan win. Then Inter Milan win two in a row. Real win number six. Celtic become the first British club to win it, beating Inter Milan. The following year, Manchester United become the first English club to win it, beating Benfica for one George Best, unbelievable in that game. Milan beat Ajax. Then Feyenoord beat Celtic. And it's a run of Dutch victories. Because after Feyenoord win it, Ajax win it three in a row. Then Bayern win it three in a row. And then the era of English dominance takes over. Liverpool go back to back. Forest go back to back. Then it's Liverpool. Then it's Villa. Then Hamburg beat Juventus. Then Liverpool beat Roma. Then the most tragic final of all. 1985, Heysel Stadium. Juventus beat Liverpool 1-0 in a game that is not remembered for the football and shouldn't be remembered for the football. 39 people lost their lives that day and English clubs were banned from playing in European football for a long time afterwards. People went to prison. When One of the things that's come from it as well, obviously, is point-scoring dickheads who can't get beyond their own tribalism. And when Liverpool fans call for justice for the 97... They call for justice for the 39. Now, I have no problem with honouring and respecting the 39 people that lost their lives. But justice was sought and justice was attained. People went to prison. Others lost their jobs. Full investigations, including criminal investigations, were carried out. And if you want justice for those 39 people, well, my suggestion for you would be to learn... Just one of their names. Just one. But when you say 39 Italians lost their lives, just remember that you're coming across as very, very ignorant. It was 32 Italians, four Belgians, two French, and one man from Northern Ireland. The youngest person who lost a life was 11 years of age he and his father both died. And when you try and use their memory to point score, you're besmirching their memory. And that's not acceptable. 86, Stoje beat Barcelona, then Porto beat Bayern, PSV beat Benfica, and then arguably, in my view, the greatest club side of all time, AC Milan takes center stage. Under Rigo Sacchi, this team was absolutely phenomenal. Galli in goal, Tassotti and Maldini as fullbacks, Costa Curta and Baresi as the center backs. That is the greatest defense ever assembled. In midfield, Colombo on the right, Donadoni on the left, Rijkaard and Ancelotti in the middle, and up front, Ruud Hullett and Marco van Basten. That team was pretty much flawless. The following season, they did it again. One change in the starting eleven: Ivani started instead of Donadoni. We moved from there to Red Star Belgrade, becoming the first Eastern European team. Other, Well, Stoy I suppose were the first, but Red Star were... uh, They were different. They were just different. That was... That was maybe one of the most talented teams that ever was assembled. It was just ferocious how many elite players they had. Uh, Vladimir Yugovic played right back. You had Prozaneki, Sinisa Mihailovic, Darko Panchev, Dejan Cevichevic. That is an incredible team. And... It's worth remembering the guy that would have been captain of that team, had he not left the previous summer, Dragon Stoikovic, was playing for Marseille. Well, he was on the bench for Marseille. He came on late in the game because he went into it injured. Marseille at the time were spending a huge amount of money and some of that was on cheating, but we'll pass by that. Um, Then Barcelona win. Then Marseille finally get their hands on the competition, uh, on the trophy. They beat AC Milan 1-0. And that Milan team had evolved. The back four were still there. But Sebastiano Rossi had taken over in goal. Donadoni was playing on the right. Gianluigi Lentini had come in on the left. And Carlo Ancelotti had been replaced in centre midfield by Albertini. And you had Albertini and Rijkaard in midfield. Up front, you had Van Basten and Massaro. Massaro, not not quite of the same level of Ruudhuller, but still a good player. Milan bounced back. They won it again the following year. Remember now, Milan, that's now five finals that Milan have been to in six years. Seven years. Seven years, excuse me. Seven years. But five out of seven is not bad at all. Not bad at all. Beat Barça, lose to Ajax, Ajax then lose to Juventus, Juventus then lose to Dortmund, then Real beat Juventus, then probably the most famous final of recent times, other than other than Istanbul for Liverpool is the United final against Bayern. Like these were all these were great events, and it, it seemed to mean much more. And I've seen a lot of people say, oh, you know, City are on the verge of history, and why don't people care? Because they don't care. Because there's nothing organic about what City have done. When United won that treble, there was something organic about it. Because that team had been built, developed, not purchased the way City's has been. And I saw some very, very strange individual the other day make up a lie that City had 14 or 12 homegrown players that were all Man City fans in their squad and United back in the 98-99 season only had six. And I thought, well, that doesn't really seem right to me. So I went and looked. If we look at the Manchester City squad that played this year, if we look at players that played this year, Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, Calvin Phillips, John Stones, Nathan Ackie, João Canseo, Ilkay Gundogan, Erling Haaland, Jack Grealish, Amiric Laporte, Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne. They all cost lots of money. Stefan Ortega was a free. Julian Alvarez the a bargain. Bernardo Silva, lots of money. Gomez, he's barely played, but, you know, he was cheap enough. Akanji was cheap enough. Mares was very expensive. Ederson was very expensive. Peroni was cheap enough, considering. And then Scott Carson, right? So I've now gone through most of their squad and have not named a single player who's homegrown or a City fan. Then you get Phil Foden, Shay Charles, who played once, Cole Palmer, Rico Lewis, and Josh wilson Esbrand, who played two sub-appearances in the Champions League. So you've really got Foden, Palmer, and Lewis. Only Foden has played a significant role. Shea Charles did not grow up a Man City fan. Palmer and Lewis probably did. And Wilson of Esbrand might have. But you've only got one player who's homegrown playing a significant role. Two other squad players that played meaningful roles. And none of them are starters in this Manchester City team. But if we look at the Manchester United team of that time, Peter Schmeichel, Gary Neville, homegrown starter, Dennis Irwin, David May, Ronnie Johnson, Yap Stam, David Beckham, homegrown starter. Nicky Butt, homegrown, significant role that season, not a starter but did start the final. Andy Cole, Teddy Sheringham, Ryan Giggs. Homegrown, significant role, starter. Phil Neville, homegrown, significant role. John Curtis, bit part player, but again homegrown. Jordy Cruyff, Jesper Blomquist, Roy Keane, Raymond van der Paul Scholes. Homegrown, significant role, starter, obviously didn't start the final because he was suspended. Dwight York, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, Henning Berg, Eric Nevland, Michael Clegg, homegrown, big part role in the squad. Wes Brown played a bigger role than either Cole Palmer or Rico Lewis this season. Again, homegrown. Chris Casper, homegrown. Philip Mulrine, home homegrown. Who, by the way, is now a priest, if you weren't aware Having had his career, he joined the priesthood. Um, Alex Notman, homegrown. Ronnie Walwork, homegrown. Nick Culkin, homegrown. Mark Wilson, homegrown. Jonathan Greening, homegrown. And Danny Higginbottom, homegrown. Like, you cannot compare... That United squad to this City squad, in terms of homegrown talent, United squad was levels and levels above. Both in terms of the sheer volume of them, in terms of the number of them that played significant roles, and the number of them that were starters. City do not have a starter that came from their academy. Phil Foden is no longer a starter for for City. He might become a starter again. But Grealish has taken the left-wing spot. Bernardo and Riyad Mahrez have the right-wing spot. Normally Bernardo when, when everybody's fit. Like City haven't cultivated a squad here. Now I know United spent. I'm not denying that they spent. But let's look at the players that they brought in. Peter Schmeichel, bargain signing. Dennis Irwin, bargain signing. David May, Fairly cheap. Ronnie Janssen, bargain signing. Yapstam was big money. Andy Cole was big money. Teddy Sheringham was relatively cheap. Jordi Cruyff was cheap. Blomqvist was cheap. Roy Keane was a record signing at the time. Van der Howe, I think they spent a couple of million on him. York was a big money signing. Solchar was cheap. Henning Berg, middling money middling money. I compare it to what City spent on a kanji in terms of, you know, modern game. Um, and that's it. So you've got you've got Yapstam, Andy Cole in that United squad. With City, Walker was 50 million. Diaz was 60. Phillips was 50. Stones was 50. Aki was 40. Kinseo was 60. Gundogan was 20. That was a bargain. Haaland 50-odd plus all the money under the counter. Kreelich was 100 million. Americ Laporte was 60. Rodri was 60. De Bruyne was 50-odd. Bernardo was 40-odd, 50-odd, whatever it was. Like, Maris was 60. Ederson was, I think, the third most expensive goalkeeper in the world when they signed him. There's just no comparison to how these squads have been built. And I get that people will say, oh, but, like, City ended up winning the league with, X number of points. While United had far less points. That's fair enough. That is fair enough. United only took 79 points in the league. And City took 89. But that's not relevant. Because eras are different. But you know what United did? They only lost three times in the league. They lost to Arsenal. Who finished second. And could easily have won the League and Cup double themselves. That was a way. They lost to Sheffield Wednesday and they lost to Middlesbrough. And they didn't lose a game in the league after the 19th of December. Now they drew a lot of games. But they were very, very hard to beat. Obviously they won the FA Cup so no defeats there. They went out of the League Cup to Tottenham and Tottenham went on and won the competition. So, you know, not necessarily an embarrassment there. Tottenham beat Wimbledon in the semi final and then Leicester in the final. So like with City, had United gotten past them, in all likelihood they go on and win the competition and win a quadruple. In the Champions League that year, they got by LK Lodz in the qualifiers. Much tougher group than City could comprehend this season. Barcelona with Figo and Rivaldo. A really strong Bayern team that they would obviously meet in the final. They drew home home and away with both sides. They beat Bromby heavily in both games. They finished second in their group. They knocked out Inter Milan. They knocked out an outstanding Juventus team. And then they beat Bayern. Really tough path. Just like this City team. But you go man for man. That team versus this team. And I don't think there's any comparison. Schmeichel's a better goalkeeper than Ederson. Irwin's a better left back than anybody at City. Stam is a better centre back than anyone at City. But I put Ruben Diaz in next to him as the second best centre back between the two clubs. Gary Neville or Kyle Walker. I would say Neville at that time was better than Walker is now. The midfield is the United midfield. It's Beckham, it's Scholes, it's Giggs, it's Keane. It just is. And then it's De Bruyne and Haaland as the front two, one off the other. Haaland as the nine, De Bruyne as a ten. Beckham right wing, Giggs left wing. Scholes and Keane holding the midfield and running the game. Neville and Irwin overlapping. Diaz and Stam as the centre-backs, which Michael behind them. That is the team. There's one City player outside of the front two. It's Ruben Diaz. Now, do City have better depth? Yeah. Most of the bench then would be City players. But the manager would be Ferguson. Ferguson wasn't handed anything. Ferguson didn't have the deck stacked in his favour. He would stack the deck in his favour through his unending desire to win. But look at what he did in his career as a manager. Wins the Scottish First Division with St Mirren to get them promoted. That wasn't a a job where he was handed anything. He had to go there and turn that club around. And that's what he did. He started with East, East Shirlingshire, was there for 17 games, got the Sid Murren job. Sid were not good when he took over. He got them promoted. Then he gets the Aberdeen job. Again, not been handed anything. He wins three Scottish League titles, four Scottish Cups, and the Scottish League Cup. He also won a Cup Winners' Cup and a European Super Cup. Like that, that alone is an incredible achievement to do it with Aberdeen, not with Celtic or Rangers. If he'd won a Cup Winners' Cup with Celtic or Rangers, it would have been an incredible achievement. He did it with Aberdeen. And then he joins United. And they're a mess when he takes over. And he wins 13 league titles. He wins 5 FA Cups. 4 League Cups. 2 European Cups. A Cup Winners Cup. A European Super Cup. An Intercontinental Cup. And a World Club Cup. I'm sorry. That. From St Mirren through Aberdeen to Manchester United. Is more impressive than Barcelona, Bayern and City. When you're. Handed everything you could ever want. Handed it. Oh, Daddy Sheik, I need more money. Okay, here's 100 million for Jack Grealish. Doesn't matter that Jack Grealish has such a poor first 18 months at the club. Because there's another 50 million pound player you can just slot in for him. Oh, Daddy Sheik, we need more goals. Okay, here's 200 million. Go and get Erling Haaland. Pay him whatever it takes. Pay his father. Pay the agent. Ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Walked into a treble-winning Bayern team, though the best team in Europe. Didn't win a European Cup there. Handed the keys at Barcelona. Handed Messi, Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, Piquet, Handed an academy that was going to produce Busquets, Pedro. Handed Thierry Henry. Handed Samuel Leto. Like, look at, look at that Barcelona team that season. It is a staggeringly good team. One of the great teams of all time. Without question. Victor Valdez, Caceres, Pique, Rafa Marquez, Puyol, Xavi, Eudert Gudjonsson, Iniesta, Etu, Messi, Boyan, Pinto, Thierry Henry, Sado Chieta, Silvino, Gabi Milito, re, Milito, really good defender. If he hadn't had the bad knee injury, he would have been one of the best defenders in Europe. Danny Alves, Alexander Fleb, Eric Abadal, Yaya Touré. Like, that is an unbelievable squad. And only Keita was brought in that summer for 14 million, PK for five, Caceres for 17, Alves for 35. Cleb for 12, Enrique for 10, and Busquets from the Academy. So most of the team was already there. Alves, Piquet and Busquets weren't there the season before, but most of the rest of them were. So he inherited a great team. He just had to tweak things to make it fit what he wanted. Now, He won a treble. It was an incredible season. It was an incredible achievement. And I'm not disparaging the job he did, but that is an easier job to take than any job Ferguson took. Bayern and City are much easier jobs. You turn up at Bayern and win a a league title, they'll sack you if you don't win anything else. So I think City will win the European Cup final, but this team is not as good as that treble winning team that United had. It's just not. And it's not as big an achievement either. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, we've got a couple of quick bits of news. We've got the gossip and we're done for the week. Right, welcome back. So, a uh, little bits of news. Conrad Lamer of RB Leipzig has completed his free transfer to Bayern Munich, he will join the German champions on a four-year deal. An excellent player. Not quite been the same since the horrendous ankle injury he had, but a pressing monster. Good on the ball, versatile. He is what a lot of people think James Milner is, but better. Um, good signing for Bayern. Werder Bremen, my preferred German club, have signed Naby Keita from Liverpool on a three-year deal, so I'm very happy about that one. Uh Seen some morons disparaging Nabi Keita, but they don't seem to understand that Werder is one of the five biggest clubs in the Bundesliga. Uh It's a really good signing for them. It's a good landing spot for him. He wanted to go back to the Bundesliga. He had a couple of other options, but he made a decision to sign for Werder, so thrilled with that one. And finally, Ross Barkley, the former Everton Chelsea midfielder, is to leave Nice at the end of the season. Well, at the end of June. Now that his one-year contract will expire, they've decided not to keep him. They're also not going to keep Nicolas Pepe, who'd been there on loan. And Joe Bryant, who was also there on loan from Fulham, uh, he will head back. He barely featured this season at all. Uh, looks like big changes are coming at Nice. A couple of key players likely to leave. Kefran Turam. And Jean-Claire Tadibo potentially both on the move. And Jim Ratcliffe, obviously their owner, looking like the favourite to buy Manchester United. Uh, Guillaume Balaga has filed his BBC Sports column. Manchester City, hysterical and hated at times. Pep Guardiola is already the greatest. You know what? I give Guillaume a lot of abuse. I I, I think he's a self-promoting bullshitter. However, I must give him credit here. It's incredible that he's been able to find an internet connection inside the confines of Pep Guardiola's arse, where he lives, to file this piece. Uh, so congrats to Guillaume on that. Uh, on to the gossip then. Arsenal will step up their £92 million pursuit of Declan Rice. £92 million for Declan Rice. You buy two players as good as Declan Rice for that if you look outside of England. West Ham are keen to bring in Joe Poligny to replace Rice with Calvin Phillips and James Ward prowse all from the frame. Joe Poligny for 35, 40 million, whatever it'll cost, is much better value than Declan Rice for 92 million. Much better value. I saw a report yesterday that Southampton won 50 million for Ward Prowse. That is, if anybody pays even close to that, they need to be put down. Chelsea could also try to sign Rice along with Moises Caicedo. I think they'll get Caicedo. I think they'll get Caicedo for Colwell and cash. I think that's ultimately what it will come down to. I think they will let Levi Colwell go to get Moises Caicedo. Nice and France midfielder Kefran Turam has verbally agreed terms at Liverpool. It is from football transfers. It is spoofing in all likelihood. However, I'm prepared to get hurt, so I'm just gonna I'm going to agree that it's real. Mateo Kovacic has agreed personal terms with Manchester City. Says the spoofer with the catchphrase. Said spoofer with said catchphrase also says Liverpool have scheduled talks with the representatives of Manu Kone. Those talks already took place. Fabrizio's about a week behind. Needs to refresh his Twitter feed where he gets his news. Uh, Real Madrid are working on a bid to sign Harry Kane for about £68 million. I don't think that fee is going to get it done. Newcastle are exploring transfer targets from relegated clubs including Tyler Adams, Harvey Barnes and James Madison. You know what? Harvey Barnes Yesterday I saw him linked to West Ham and I thought that would be a really good move. If they had Bowen, Paqueta and Barnes behind the number nine, I think that would be really strong. But Tyler Adams would make sense for them as well. If they got Adams and Jaipelinha, they would have upgraded their midfield from Rice and Suchek. Madison is the main priority target for Ange Postacoglu. Uh, I don't believe that to be true. Although it is John Percy, it is John Percy. If Percy says it, I'm going to buy it because the guy doesn't spoof. Uh, Manchester United and Germany midfielder Ilke Gundogan is a target for Paris Saint-Germain once again, fitting into their young French uh, mandate. Meanwhile, reports in Germany—sorry, reports in Spain—suggest the German international has already agreed a three-year deal with Barcelona. I don't know that there were reports in Spain. I think it was like some spoofer who's a Spanish YouTuber who actually said it. Saudi Arabian side Al Ali have expressed their desire to sign Riyad Mahrez. Interesting. Tottenham will need to increase their 20 million valuation of David Rea. With Brentford ready to reject offers less than 40 million. They're not ready to reject offers less than 40 million. They're just not, because he's had a contract in a year. If they get 25 to 30, they'll take it. Arsenal see Spanish right back Ivan Fresneda of La Liga side Valladolid as a viable summer option. They've been linked to him for a long time, but Dortmund appeared to be in pole position to get him. Leicester City are considering Stephen Gerrard as the next boss. That would be an awful appointment. Uh, he's not a good manager so why would you do that Tottenham will ask Juventus to reduce the 35 million fee needed to sign Dejan Kulusevski in a permanent deal Juve should just say no we'll we'll happily keep him because he's really good and if they had him Vlahovic and Chies as a front three that would go a long way towards helping Juve rebuild they've got a lot of good young midfielders there Locatelli obviously is a little bit older than the rest, but Juve obviously have loaded up on old geezers in the last couple of years, and that's been a catastrophic failure. But when you look at the likes of Fabio Moretti, who's really talented, Nicolo Fagioli, who's really, really talented. They've got Weston McKenny there, who's also quite talented. And Nicolo Ravella is the one I'm most excited about. He was on loan at Monza this past season. If they just put that, Young group of midfielders together and said, This is what we're going to do. These maybe you could look at, um, let's do the kid's name, Alessandro Depardi. He's a Depardo, he's a little bit older, but still, still young at 23. Just run with that group of midfielders for a year or so and see how they do and fix that effing defense because Christ, it is awful, absolutely shocking. Um, so yeah, they should just say, No, we'll keep him. Thanks. Manchester United are considering sending Mason Greenwood out on loan to a club in Europe next season. I have to imagine he's fairly toxic. I have to. Shakhtar Donetsk Chief Executive Sergi Palkin has threatened to sue Tottenham if they try to sign Manor Solomon on loan. Sorry, try to sign him on a free transfer after his loan spell with Fulham. Now, I'd imagine Fulham want to keep him as well. Um, Man of Solomon's really, really good. Now, obviously, it's a messy situation. Shakhtar bought him; they had him under contract. FIFA ruled that he could suspend his contract and go elsewhere, and now they've ruled that he could be allowed leave for free. I just, I don't, I can't get on board with that. With Shakhtar getting screwed out of it. At the very least, I think they should get back the money they put into him. So the six million euro that they paid, and then whatever wages they paid him over his three years at the club, three and a half years at the club, give them all of that back and then give them 25% on top or something. It's still a good deal. Manor Solomon for 20 million would still be a good deal. It's probably less than, it's probably like 15. It would still be a good deal. And it would save everybody the hassle of a lawsuit. Right, that's it. That's all I've got for today and for this week. Back next week. Might be one or two days. I'm not here next week, but we'll see. Um, Yeah, enjoy your weekends. Enjoy the Champions League final. And uh, please enter. Please do it. See you soon. Bye-bye. network.